0: PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the Cast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Craig. Hello and welcome to 2012. Happy New Year. This is Becky Craig. We're going to look at the January issue of physical therapy, which is packed. It is a spectacular way to start the new year. I'm not going to use my traditional linear approach. Rather, what I've tried to do is group some of these papers by theme. So, the first theme begins actually with the very first manuscript, which is the systematic review related to multidisciplinary care for people with schizophrenia. This paper is led by Davy Van Comfort and his colleagues from Catholic University in Leuven, Belgium. Basically, the conclusion is that when patients have some sort of physical therapist intervention, that there is indication that there's an improvement in health-related quality of life. We cannot say that it's physical therapists who end up helping the person with schizophrenia. We can say that a multidisciplinary team that includes a physical therapist appears to offer value in improving that person's quality of life. The second paper that I'm going to talk about is not second in the list, but is actually fourth in the list. It's by Christina Olson and her colleagues from Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. This paper talks about catastrophizing and the catastrophizing that they look at is during and after pregnancy. The biggest point that really resonated with me was the fact that there were women whose catastrophizing changed over time. So there's a concept, I'm not going to say a principle, but maybe an assumption that if a person catastrophizes, they do it every time, that there's pain. This study really did not show that, but rather showed at various times the catastrophizing was different. So please look at this article. I think it raises really exciting new questions. The third paper in our psychological trio is by Timothy Weideman and Michael Sullivan. They're from McGill University in Quebec, Canada. This is looking at catastrophizing related to work-related musculoskeletal injuries. Basically, what they concluded was the number of elevated psychosocial factors identified in the subacute phase of recovery could be used to predict recovery difficulties one year later. So again, I think this is really an important issue and helps us think about prevention and more careful planning and specific interventions for persons who might have a high score on this assessment tool. Now, we're going to change themes and look at home physical therapist practice. The second manuscript that's listed in the table of contents is by Xiao Jing Yang and colleagues from the University of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. The topic is mild balance dysfunction. This is a randomized control trial. We've heard a lot, particularly in our journal, about the need to intervene if a person has a balance problem, different ways to identify persons with balance problems. What's really exciting about this particular paper is the concept of prevention. It looks as though we may be able to identify persons who are at perhaps risk for falling and prescribe an intensive exercise program and keep them from falling. It's a very well-done randomized controlled trial. The other study that's listed in the table of contents that involves home exercise is by Hanan Khalil from Cardiff University in the United Kingdom. This is looking at the use of a home-based exercise program as well. In this case, it's persons with Huntington disease. This is a really thoughtful paper because it talks about the problem in just giving written instructions to someone with Huntington disease to carry it out. And in this case, the investigators have provided a DVD and used the DVD to help the persons with Huntington disease engage in an independent exercise program at home. The patients reported that it was very useful, that they could adhere well And so, really, this is suggesting that we should consider other media to enhance home exercise programs when the physical therapist is not in the home. We're going to switch gears just for a moment and talk about two research reports that look at the development of new measurement tools. The first of the two papers is by Charles Philip Gable and colleagues. Charles is from the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. These authors have proposed the development of a new self-reported outcome measure called the Lower Limb Functional Index, or the LLFI. And what they conclude is that it has sound clinometric properties. There was a low response error. It took not too long to complete it and score it. And there was overall improved responsiveness compared with the lower extremity function scale. So I encourage you to look at this report. It's the beginning of a potentially new scale. The other report that looks at a measurement tool is by Margaret Gradel from Oslo University in Norway. She and her colleagues looked at reliability and construct validity of a self-report for patients with pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy and postpartum These investigators have developed a self-report instrument that they feel has satisfactory discriminant validity, and they're very pleased with it. The tool itself is called the Pelvic Girdle Questionnaire. I think you'll find this paper a potentially useful tool for those of you who are working with persons who are pregnant. The next two papers I've put together because they deal with, I think, common assumptions some of us have as clinicians. The first is by Chester Ho who is a physician from the Foothills Hospital in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He's looking at the use of pulsatile lavage to enhance pressure ulcer healing. This is a randomized control trial. It's a very small sample as you can imagine because these were persons with spinal cord injury with stage 3 or stage 4 pelvic pressure ulcers. There were 28 individuals, 14 of them received pulsatile lavage, and the other group received usual care. The authors suggest that the pulsatile lavage enhanced stage 3 and stage 4 pressure ulcer healing rates compared to usual care. The other paper in this category is about sternal precautions, something that, again, many of us learned about in physical therapy school. This article is by Laura Toil from a private hospital in New South Wales, Australia. Now, for those of you who may have forgotten, usually, for example, for a coronary artery bypass graft or a valve replacement, the sternum is split open and then wired shut. Physical therapists are taught to be very careful to avoid unilateral activities with the upper extremity, not to put weight on bilateral upper extremities. And so, this group of authors really decided they were going to challenge that and find out whether sternal precautions, and facts still applied. So, that's why, like this article, they were challenging a common clinical assumption. This is just an introduction to the question whether restriction and precautions really are necessary. So, look for these authors and future reports. All right. Now, we're going to look at a technical report by Randy Richter and Tricia Austin. They're from St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. In this case, the technical report is talking about the application of a particular software tool, and that is the medical subject headings or mesh headings in PubMed. This is really a wonderful paper because it's a how-to paper. The authors provide recommendations on how to use a PubMed search strategy and take advantage of the mesh terms to really get a much more effective outcome. I think you'll find it very helpful. We have two case reports this month, and they're both very interesting. The first is by Lori Tuttle and her colleagues. Lori is from the University of California in San Diego. It's reporting the use of moderate intensity weight-bearing in a person who has type 2 diabetes and peripheral neuropathy. Now, again, this one is challenging basic assumptions, Previous recommendations on persons who have diabetes and peripheral neuropathy is that the exercises should be non-weight-bearing because of the lack of sensation. A moderate-intensity exercise program was successful in increasing strength, physical function, and activity level in this one individual. So, I am sure that Tuttle and her colleagues will be challenging this in a larger trial to follow. The other case report is by Joost van Kordelar from the University Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. He and his colleagues looked at longitudinal change in coordination of an upper limb that was parietic. What I really like about this case report is that we're finally getting to the point in upper extremity recovery post-stroke to look at the quality of movement. Up until now, the outcome measures have demonstrated that there's increased movement, but we haven't emphasized the quality of the movement. This case report brings that to the forefront. We have two spectacular perspectives this month. One is breast cancer-related lymphedema. And again, if you think about that, we're talking about a secondary prevention. This perspective is written by a number of colleagues. The first author is Nicole Stout, who is at the National Naval Medical Center Breast Cancer Center at Bethesda, Maryland. They basically look at a prospective surveillance model and compare it with a traditional model of impairment. There are a lot of assumptions that are made in this perspective, but the bottom line is that they estimate that the cost to manage using prospective surveillance is $600 compared to the cost to manage late-stage lymphedema that's already developed being over $3,000 per patient. The other perspective is offered by Sue Perry and Patricia Downey, both faculty members at Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is another prevention paper. It talks about fracture risk. So these authors talk about the use of a new tool called the Fracture Risk Assessment Tool, and the value in using it to identify persons who might be at risk for fracture. So again, it ties so nicely into the theme of this January issue. So in summary, this is a spectacular way to begin the new year. Please enjoy the first issue of 2012. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org. And be sure to include CrakeCast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.